Thank you and good morning, Mountain Park. What a great privilege it is for my wife, Hoda, and I to be together in Phoenix. This is my first trip with Hoda to your beautiful state. We have come before, I, I have come before, but it has always been just to Phoenix. On this trip, because of your generosity, we were able to uh, get a few days off and went first to uh, Sedona, and then after that, took uh, a nice, beautiful ride up to the Grand Canyon. Beautiful place. You know, uh, second to the Cedars, the Grand Canyons are the best. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, again, open your Bible, you see the Cedars of Lebanon are mentioned there so many, many times. So, and since I'm Lebanese, I have to give always that push and this ad to, to Lebanon. And if you don't believe me, come over, I'll show you how grandiose and beautiful those trees are. But really, God's creation at Grand Canyon is just amazing. Amazing, beautiful, humbling to be there and know that this is our Lord who created that. And then, of course, from there to Flagstaff, nobody told us that we'll be climbing 9,000 feet, you know, kept going up, up, up. I thought we were going to meet Jesus at one point, you know. <laughs> it was so high up in elevations, you know. And then we went from 100 degrees to 38 degrees, you know. It's like, wow. I thought Arizona is all desert, you know. But that tells you how much we knew. Because of your generosity, you really gave us a beautiful, beautiful break, a much-needed break. So thank you, Pastor Charlton. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Thank you, Judy. Everyone that has really made it possible for us to be here with you today. And we're talking about missions, right? You might ask yourself this question I have in the past. Why even care? Why even care about missions? You know, there's so many things happening in our world. We don't have to be out of our house. We don't have to be out of our own little bubble before we know and realize there's so many people who are hurting, so many people who are suffering, so many people who are in such need. Then why missions? Why even bother? Why even go out to the rest of the world and think that uh, we can make a difference? Especially when we start listening to the news and watching TV. And of course, the uh, secular media wants to show you how bad the world is. How terrible the situation we live in. How messed up the globe is. And believe me, it is. I mean, it doesn't take you long if you come to the Middle East to see how many people groups always are fighting one another. It doesn't take you much to realize that over generation and generation and generation, there has been wars and conflicts in the Middle East, in Lebanon, in Israel, in Palestine, in Iran, in Iraq, in Yemen, in almost every corner of that part of the world. Then you ask yourself, can we even make a difference? Why even bother and care? Missions. Missions is uh, a big word. Sometimes then you ask yourself, well, can we just give and then let somebody else does the work? Well, it starts with giving, but it's nothing like going. And I hope today as we uh, look at this beautiful passage in Scripture, we realize that your legitimate, your honest question of why go, why care, why even bother is addressed so richly through Jesus Christ's ministry on this planet earth. You know, often we ask this that question of do we really make a difference when we go, when we care, when we love, when we give, when we do a beautiful program for children or when we build a church or when we help people in great need. If you ask that question today, that's very legitimate. Unfortunately though, there have been people in the 
times of Jesus who were asking it with not such a pure heart. We see that in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. We realize that the Pharisees were muttering among themselves and wondering, why does God the Son, of course they did not know him that he was God the Son, but why is Jesus spending so much time with the tax collectors? So much time with the sinners. Why does he even care? He has us. And sometimes we act the same. So it depends, doesn't in fact matters whether it's a legitimate question from a pure heart or it's meant to trick Jesus from a not so pure heart. The same question, why do we care? Why should we go to mission? Why should we do work around the world? Why should we even bother to spend time with people? Jesus gave us this beautiful answer in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. I'm going to start reading from the verse 11, but before that, let me remind you again, as I just said, now that the tax collector in the verse first says, and now that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eat with them. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with Jesus that he would even spend time in the presence of sinners? Why does he even bother and care to be with people who are insignificant, don't matter? Jesus gave them a beautiful answer of three-part stories, three parables. He started with this parable of the ten, uh, sorry, the parable of the hundred sheep. And then he said, you know, you remember... There's this shepherd, he had 100 sheep, and then he lost one of them. And what did he do? He left the 99, and he went out looking for that one sheep. And when he found that one sheep, he brought it back and went to his friends, the other shepherd, and said, hey, let's throw a party. Let's enjoy it and celebrate. You think he would care for the other 99? You think he had, okay, so I have 99% good, so what's, why to even bother and worry about that 1%? But in that parable, Jesus was saying that 1% matters a lot. That 1% matters a lot. And then he, went, he goes on and tells the other parable. He goes from, 10, from 100 to 10. And then you have this woman who had 10 coins. She lost one. So now we are at 90%. She has 90% with her. 10% is a lot. Why is she bothered? But what does she do? What does she do? She turned over her house. She kept looking and looking and looking until she finds that one coin. And when she does, she calls all the neighbors. It's a party time. And if you don't know what chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke is, it's the story of parties in heaven. It's the story of parties in heaven when Jesus and all the angels and all of us there in heaven will celebrate every time one comes to Christ. In fact, you see that in verse 7. After that beautiful shepherd story, Jesus says in verse 7, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then we see this again in verse 10. After the story of the last, the lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So why care? Why go? Why give? Why spend time in the, amongst people who maybe we think, hmm, they wouldn't even care. Well, they do. And then we went, as I said, from the story of the hundred sheep to the story of the ten coins down to the story of the two sons. And the story of that parable of the lost son or 
the parable of the prodigal son. It starts in verse 11. Jesus continued telling those parables to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. The same thing now as it was before in the, uh, the days of Jesus on earth. You come and ask your inheritance before your father is dead. Basically, you're telling him, you're dead in my eyes. I don't even care for you. I want to inherit you. I want to get my share. I want to take everything that is mine and move away. You know, uh, in this parable, the father could have said, get out of here. <laughs> You're getting nothing until I die. Or really? Really? You want some? Okay, I'll give you a little part. But what did Jesus say is that that father gave this young son of his his share. It's customary in the Old Testament, it's also customary in still a lot of the Arab world, that the first son gets twice as much as the younger brothers. Meaning, in this case, this young son got one-third of his father's estate. He got one-third of everything that father owned. And what did he do? He just took off and went to foreign lands. And he leaves his father and his rest of the family behind and squandered all his monies, wasted it over a wild life until he lost it all. And then the story continues to tell us that there was this great famine in this foreign land. So this young man decided maybe I can work on someone's farm and feed the pigs and get a little income. But then scripture also tells us he was wishing, wishing he can even eat the food that the pigs were eating. Can you imagine what sin does to us? We get to that level where we are so desperate, we are willing to eat anything, just anything, in order to survive. And then he, came, he comes to his senses. And he said, only if, only if I can go back to my father and tell him that I have sinned towards heaven and I have sinned towards you, and please accept me back, not as your son, but as one of your servants. As one of your servants. And here we see the rest of the story in verse 21 when it says, But while he was still a long way off, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion from him. He was filled with compassion from him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a party. Let's have a feast. Let's have a celebration. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I told you chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke is the chapter of the parties in heaven. And if you are still wondering and asking yourself, why should we care? Why should we go? Why should we be in Uganda? Why should we go to Honduras? Why should we come to Lebanon? Well, if you come to Lebanon, you put a hard hat and a bulletproof vest and we'll take off the rest. Don't worry about anything. We'll show you the cedars and we'll put you to hard work. But remember this. 
Remember this, that what you will be doing abroad or even here in Arizona around the corner, you will be contributing to a party in heaven. Do you want that? Do you want that? Do you want to know that the greatest parties, and I promise you there are no greater parties than the ones that are happening in heaven. And you will one day, you will one day as you walk through the, the gates of heaven, and you will stand there and you say, oops, look who's there. I remember being on a mission trip led by Mountain Park. I saw this young man. I saw this young woman. We fed those children. We cared for that family. You would not know much about what you are doing here on this part of the world. But you will be celebrating amazing, great work that God desires to do through you. Why missions? Well, we just read why missions. Missions is because God's compassionate heart aches and breaks every time one of us is lost. This young man, he ran back to his father's house. He was expecting to give his father a quick lecture saying, hey, I don't deserve to be your son. Just treat me as one of your servants. But what did the father do? He was, in fact, out waiting for him to come back because the father knew that one day his son is returning and he wanted to be the first to know. He wanted to be the first to welcome back. He wanted to be the first to hug him. And the father ran to him. I thought, man, he could be sitting in his uh, beautiful chair waiting for the son to come and goes down on his knees and apologizes and repent. That's not the father that we have. Our father is not there waiting. Our father is out there waiting. He is there to run towards us. He is there to welcome us. He is there to pray with us. He is there to tell us, my son, welcome back. And when he wanted to be one of, like one of his servants, he said, no, no, my son, this son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. And he treated him in the most beautiful way. He didn't put him on probation. He didn't put him in through a test. He didn't ask him any questions. All he cared is that his son was back. Why? Because he has a compassionate heart. Early on when we started the ministry at Heart for Lebanon, our vision statement read as such. Heart for Lebanon exists to see lives changed and communities transformed. But for several years, I had to answer that same question. Why do you care? Why do you come and serve among us? Why do you want to visit with us? Reminding you that Lebanon is the host of the largest refugee population worldwide. There is no country in the planet Earth like Lebanon that has as many refugees per capita as Lebanon does. In our country in Lebanon, we have the densest one square mile of refugees in the world. So not only per capita we have so much, such a tiny small nation had the largest, heaviest, densed area of refugees. Let me also remind you that Lebanon is serving Syrian and Iraqi refugees, people who were, we were at war with them from 1975 to 1991. 16 years of civil war and regional war. We honestly don't care for the refugee population. There's nothing good in me, nothing good in my wife, Huda, for us that takes us to the streets, into the refugee tent settlements, along with people who are suffering so much. Why? Because she and I, on our honeymoon, on our day that we got wed, we were shot at by the Syrian army. Because we together, we were fleeing for our life on the first day of our marriage. Because the small apartment that we had to move in as a married couple was destroyed to ashes. Because at many checkpoints, we were stopped and taken on the side, questioned. 
and interrogated and thinking this is the last time we're going to see one another on this side of the planet, on this side of the world. You see, we don't care. It's the Jesus in us that makes us care. It's his compassionate heart that makes us care. So now we have changed the vision statement of Heart for Lebanon. It starts as such, driven by the compassionate heart of Jesus Christ. Heart for Lebanon exists to see lives change and communities transform. It's his compassionate heart that gets us out of bed every morning. It's his compassionate heart that drives us every day into a refugee tent settlement. It's his compassionate heart that puts us in the presence of a Muslim, a Kurd, a Syrian, a Lebanese, an Iraqi. It doesn't matter. It does not matter who they are before Christ. What matters is who they will become in Christ. And you know, when you start looking at the uh, pictures behind me and see the baptism of Lebanese and Syrians, people who come from a Muslim background, you would celebrate. You know that Jesus is, is having a beautiful party in heaven. And every time I dunk one person, I would say, I am contributing to the celebration that is going in heaven. I am part of this beautiful journey. We baptize folks in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we celebrate. And we celebrate that we had a small part in their life. But you know that small part in their life is a long journey. It doesn't happen overnight. And if you think you're going to change the world overnight, well, guess what? You're wrong. It starts with a food package. It starts with distributing 3,400 food packages every month to refugees and locals alike. It starts with bringing a smile back to a little child who had seen his or her parents killed in front of their eyes. It starts with many long hours visiting a widow who had no choice, chance to even say goodbye to her husband before he was killed. And now she has the responsibility of caring for an entire family all alone in a foreign land. It takes many hours of sipping on coffee and tea, hearing and listening to the broken stories of young and adults, of refugees and locals, of male and female, of people's creation that's aching and breaking and hurting and is wondering, does anyone care? And then when they ask the question, so why do you care? Why would somebody from Mountain Park comes and spends time with us? Why will they take time from their own vacation? Why will they leave their families behind? Why will they invest resources of their own in order to be in our presence? What are they expecting in return for their investment? You might not hear that question, but we hear it often. And my answer is always is because they are driven by Christ's compassionate heart because they have experienced his love and they have received it freely and they are freely giving it back to you why should you care why should you go because you are God's agents I cannot tell you how many times Huda and I were told are you angels from above we say no we're normal human beings but for a person in real need they're going to look at you and think they are being an angel sent from heaven a messenger of God's grace, a person who's willing and able and ready to share his love with the rest of his creation. And guess what? When you look at this last slide, you celebrate even more. 
in that one church setting in Zahli, the Bekaa Valley, a few hours ahead of us, a worship gathering of Arabs and Kurds, born Muslim followers of Jesus Christ, born in traditional Christian families, followers of Jesus Christ, Syrians and Lebanese, people who were enemies with one another, worshiping together boldly, clearly, openly, with great faith that what we see here is only one small snippet of what we will see and experience in heaven. This is why we go. This is why we serve. This is why we give. And I tell you again, I tell you again, it doesn't matter who you were before Christ. It doesn't matter your, the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter if you speak English like I do with a broken accent. It doesn't matter if you don't know how you trip over your words and you speak so fast. It doesn't matter who you were before Christ. What matters is who you are in Christ. And what matters most is who you take in the presence of people they need. A Christ-compassionate heart. That's what drives you. That's what drives me. That's what gets us out of bed and that's what makes church alive church alive if you asked me five years ago if you had asked me five years ago will we have a worship gathering in Zahla I would tell you no that was that wasn't in our plan but God takes us through this very beautiful journey and that's the beautiful way of progression of our ministry today we have a worshiping gathering in the uh, Bekaa Valley, we have a similar one in southern Lebanon. Right there at the borders with Israel, we have a beautiful people of God worshiping there. Predominantly, more than 70% of those folks have come from a Muslim background. I would not have imagined that five years ago. Today we have an Arabic-speaking congregation, an Armenian-speaking congregation, and a Kurdish-speaking congregation in every one of those two locations. To God be the glory. But it reminds me of one thing. We need to be obedient to his calling. We need to be reminded that you and I are his hand and feet. He chose to work through us. And he chose to work in us. The rest of the story of the parable of the lost son was very intriguing to me. Because the older son, the one who stayed behind, the one who loved and cared for his father, did not like the fact that the younger son came back. When he heard about the celebration and the music, when he heard about all that was going around, it says in verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. You know, it's like, wow, there's a party at home. What's going on? So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And scripture continues to tell us that the older son got angry, got mad, and chose not to even go in the house. Sometimes we act like that. Sometimes we think we want to keep God in that one box for us. We want to put him in that one room for us. He is ours and no one else's. We are the ones out of the faithful. We are the ones who didn't do much bad. We're good people. Why is he there? Why didn't he throw a party for us? How about me? What about us? I've been there longer. You know that beautiful story about the three crosses, Jesus and the other two? And what did Jesus tell him? 
today you will be with me. I would have said to him, well, come on, God. I mean, put him to the test and find out if he's even worthy to go there. You know what I mean? Why would you want to take him immediately? Because Jesus was thinking, hey, you know what? Both of us today are going to be in the party. And, and the same thing happened here with the younger son. When the younger son came back, the father was so excited. He threw the party. The older son did not like it. So I wonder, is it the story of the prodigal son? Or is it the story of the two prodigal sons? Is it the story of the one lost son? Or is it the story of the two lost sons? Both at one point did not understand the compassionate heart of the father. And in fact, if we look at this, uh, the Bible, I love the, how the Bible is made up for us right now. Where in front of, before any and every passage, there's this title, which helps us really understand, you know, what we're reading. Well, when I was younger, our Bibles, until now, most Arabic Bibles don't have titles. This is why I like to read the Bible in English. It helps me, prepares me, put my mind set through, forward. You know how the Bible was written. The Holy Spirit has given a breath, words, thoughts to the prophets, to the disciples, to God's people, and wrote the beautiful Bible. But we did not have titles, though titles are very helpful. So I'm not suggesting we change the title of this passage, but if you want to think about it this way today, I think another suitable title other than the prodigal son or the lost son, a title as such, the compassionate heart of Jesus Christ, the compassionate heart of the Father. This is why we go. We go driven by his heart that aches and breaks. We go excited, knowing that we're going to be part of a greater work we go with great anticipations, knowing that one day, you and I will enjoy that celebration, that party, that beautiful time in heaven, knowing that we have contributed to something, something far greater, more, more imaginable than anyone could even think and fathom. God uses us in many and multiple ways. And at times, we wonder if we even have it in us to continue to push forward. On February 6th of this year, when the Turkey-Syria earthquake hit, and we woke up shaken, our beds in Lebanon and Zahle were shaken. Our building was swaying left and right. We were looking at one another, Hoda and I, and she, the first question she asked me, do you trust the engineers who build this building? I said, I think so. <laughs> but we better trust the God who created us more so. And the second thought that came to my mind, can we even do more? When does it end? How much more can we do? And the only reason we were able now to take ministry across the borders into Syria this time and care for hundreds of families there, sending many, many trucks of humanitarian aid, a lot of our staff there to care, love, support, pray for, is because there were people like you mountain park, driven by the compassionate heart of Jesus Christ. And you said, how can we stand next to you? How can we support you? How can we give even more? You see, at times you can go and we wish you could. And at times you can give and we wish you give. Because in both cases, you are making a difference around the world and even here in Phoenix. So I don't only encourage you to go to Lebanon, but we would welcome you at any day and any time, any season of the year. We encourage you to go all around the world. There are many hurting, broken, sad families 
around the globe, people who need you. And I will also encourage you to remember that here in Phoenix, in Arizona, your own people, your own community is hurting. Go and be the hand of Jesus Christ all around the world. Remember that only through his compassionate heart you will make a difference. Let me pray for us. Father, it's humbling to see how you would welcome us despite all our iniquities and our brokenness and our failed state. You welcome us into your home, into your family, into your kingdom. Once we make the decision that we want to be part of your family and choose to return. Also, Father, it humbles us how you would even desire to work through us to take this gospel of forgiveness all around the globe. Thank you for Mountain Park, for its leadership, for the people who have traveled many miles, many thousands of miles to show your love to other nations, other people, and other ethnicities. Thank you for what is being done here in Arizona, and I pray a special blessing on every program, every ministry, every mission outreach. And thank you for the generosity of the people of this church, for they give, and they give generously. Thank you for choosing us to be your hand and feet. Amen.